0: Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics.
1: Hi, I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist Exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Welcome to episode seven, our first episode with actual knowledge content. We want to start our episodes with listener questions, comments, and feedback, so we are really addressing what you want covered. Our first content request was to discuss an intervention that is not supported by the literature. The PCS is driven by evidence-based practice, and although there are a lot of great practice-based tools out there that may benefit patients, this information is not something you will see on the exam. Our goal is to really tailor this specific podcast towards evidence-based practice and the PCS exam. There is definitely value in discussing a variety of intervention approaches, but for now, that's just beyond the scope of this podcast. For now, we're gonna focus on information that will promote adequate test preparation. What a great segue into our first topic, evidence-based decision-making. The framework that you need to constantly reference is the ICF model. The International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health will help guide you through this studying process. And it is the model you will come back to to help keep you organized. When I first read about the ICF model, it definitely seemed a bit confusing to me but it is referenced so many times in so many different ways. By the end of my studying, I definitely felt confident in my understanding. Check out the ICF diagram and burn it into your memory.
0: The ICF model was definitely something to put on that study guide that you look at frequently. Like Sheila said, burn it into your memory.
1: The ICF model organizes the injury or illness in parts. One, functioning and disability, and two, contextual factors. Part one is divided into body functions and structures and activities and participation. Body functions and structures are the anatomical and physiological aspects that are affected by the condition. Activities are defined as tasks or action, whereas participation is involvement in life situations. Something that really helped me was to remember that the concepts of activities and participation are probably different within the ICF model than how you use these words in your current vocabulary. A lot of times we think or use the term activity as a game or maybe a group exercise or a sport. However, in the ICF model, an activity is a very specific task like walking, running, or balancing on one foot. If a kiddo cannot walk or run, they will not be able to participate in a school field day activity. Therefore, participation in a school field day or an after-school sport may not be possible unless the therapist assists the kiddo in acquiring the skill of walking, running, or balancing. The second part of the ICF model is contextual factors. These are further classified into personal or environmental factors. I think these are fairly self-explanatory.
0: If you struggle with remembering the ICF model or get confused by it, try to create an example or use one from the book to help you remember it. The
1: APTA Guide to PT Practice 3.0 is another useful guide in your study process. The guide uses the same ICF language and is obviously tailored towards physical therapists. The goal is to aid in decision-making, And the model has six elements, examination, evaluation, diagnosis, prognosis, intervention, and outcomes. These are really just definitions that you need to learn and become familiar with. They are great flashcard material. For me, this is another area where the terms are used differently than how we may use them day-to-day in the clinic. Examination is the history, systems review, and the tests and measures that you're using. They define evaluation as the process of analyzing the examination to determine a diagnosis, prognosis, and goals. Basically, you are analyzing the relationships between all of the ICF components. According to the Guide 3.0, diagnosis is the label that identifies the impact of a condition on function at the level of the system and the whole person. Prognosis is determining the likelihood that a child is going to achieve the goals set for them. Intervention is self-explanatory. What are you going to do to achieve the set goals? Finally, outcomes. What are your results after implementing your plan of care? These are essential to evaluate if your therapy is successful. Outcome measures will be a huge portion of your study material, and we will discuss them throughout the podcast. There are a few more definition-style terms that are discussed. Again, great flashcard content. These are important definitions because they are the foundation for evidence-based practice, and the definitions will be used often throughout the text and the papers that you're reading. Background information is generally used by novices and those lacking experience. It is usually related to a specific diagnosis and might include pathology, medical management, and a general evolution of the condition. Foreground information is something you build over time to be a better therapist. It will help you know the best tests and measures to use, the best intervention strategies, and it can allow you to better collaborate with others. Two other important definitions include declarative and procedural knowledge. Declarative knowledge is knowing what? It is facts procedural knowledge is knowing how and when to apply various aspects to their physical therapy practices. It's common for students and new therapists to know a lot of facts, but they may not know how to effectively apply them. Research is going to be a huge aspect of your studying, and really it should be a huge aspect of your career in general. Being able to ask a good question when you are searching out information can really help you get to an answer efficiently. The PICO, P-I-C-O format is important and helps you get to a good question to aid in your search. PICO stands for Patient Intervention, Comparison Intervention, if there is one, and Outcome. Once you have searched for your information, you need to use your pyramid to help you determine the quality of the research to determine how you can use that in your practice. You will also need to burn this pyramid into your memory. Be very confident in knowing where evidence fits into this pyramid. Both Campbell and Linda Feder's book detail the pyramid. The evidence-based PT book by Linda definitely dives deep into the evidence level. And I did feel quite confident knowing where research designs fit into the pyramid. Once you pick your research study, you need to appraise it. You can rate the strength, the methodological quality, and grade of recommendation. Strength of Evidence for Therapy Interventions is appraised through the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, the CEBM. Also, a chart you want to have in your memory. You need to be confident with all of the different statistics related to research, things like effect size, odds ratio, et cetera. I know you're having flashbacks to PT school right now. Going through the definitions and numbers related to each of these is beyond the scope of this podcast. We are happy to try and hash out questions as they come up but I think it would be boring as hell if I read you definitions and numbers. Everything I've talked about so far and the charts from this chapter should be somewhere where you can review them often. There are so many different ways these topics can creep into test questions and you really will do yourself a favor if you know them well. The strength of evidence goes through all of the different study types like randomized control trials and cohort designs and where they fit in terms of their quality. Linda Federer's book hits this material hard as well. So after you read Campbell, if you find yourself very shaky on this topic, I would suggest getting Linda's book sooner than later. I will post the citation in this episode summary. You have to be solid on this foundational stuff because sometimes the test questions may be asking you a completely different question, but within the question, it's implying that you know this material, if that makes sense. Knowledge translation, this was a topic I had absolutely no clue of before I began studying for the PCS exam. And practice tests just kept having questions on it. Every time I was like, what is this? Campbell addresses it briefly, as does the Linda Fetters book. I think there is a fact sheet about this as well. Knowledge translation is basically the way you put a newfound knowledge from, say, a research article or something else into practice. You have a problem that you've identified, you adapt knowledge to your clinic or practice setting using research and critical appraisal, you assess any barriers, decide on interventions, monitor knowledge use, evaluate outcomes, and you sustain that knowledge use. Campbell has an example in the book about kinesiotaping, outlining this process in more of a real-world situation. A common term that I had never heard of before was knowledge broker. This was the term they used for the people that were going to bring the knowledge and training to the entire staff. So if you were looking at implementing a new intervention, one or two trained individuals would be the knowledge brokers who would then educate the rest of the staff in the new intervention.
0: The knowledge translation cycle was something that I struggled with right up until we took the exam. Like Sheila said, I was just like, what? is knowledge translation. For some reason, it just wouldn't stick in my brain. There's a great example in Campbell of the knowledge translation cycles in one of the charts. I think this is what Sheila was talking about. I basically took this chart and memorized it until I began to truly understand what each step meant. Our study group also had me verbally explain it to them and teach them a few times so I could work on not just reading it, but also explaining and understanding it.
1: The information is dense and very important. I feel like I've talked too much and I still feel like I left a lot out. The PCS is built on evidence-based practice. You have to be confident in your understanding of research design, your ability to adequately appraise research and your ability to conceptualize bringing that new knowledge into the clinic.
0: Now that we finished with chapter one, we're gonna move on to chapter two, which is all about measurement. According to the text, the purpose of this chapter is to quote, guide clinicians on the effective use of tests and measures in pediatric physical therapy practice, unquote. Basically, this chapter goes through different types of tests and outcome measures that one may use during practice and also discusses evaluating change while using these outcome measures. A few definitions that the chapter right away begins with are the following, measurement, tests and measures, outcomes, and standardized outcome measures. Again, I'm not gonna read through the definitions because I feel like that's just boring, but these are great flashcard material and definitions that you should definitely know and definitely be aware of. For outcomes, you can choose a variety of different types. These include body structure function, activity and participation. These three categories are key throughout your study and you will see outcome measures broken up within these three categories, both in the APTA fact sheets and in the PCS Advantage study guides.
1: You will see the ICF model so many times by the time you finish studying, you have to know it and love it.
0: These defined terms are used throughout the chapter, so it's best to know exactly what they are referring to when they bring them up.
1: Definitions like the ones I spoke about and the ones that Sarah is talking about lend themselves well to flashcards. You can write out flashcards or you can create them with online programs such as Quizlet or Anki. Then you can study on the go and you always have something you can do when you're out and about.
0: A big note with outcome measures is when you are choosing the best one to use, you need to determine the purpose of testing. What are you looking for and why are you looking for it? Are you looking to evaluate change over time? Are you looking to determine whether the child is eligible for services? Are you looking to discharge a child from therapy? Are you looking to measure a child's body structure and function, activity, or participation? These questions are important to remember when answering a test question based on an outcome measure.
1: Yes, you can likely eliminate one or two answers on an outcome measure question by this theory alone. If they're asking you a question about participation and two of the listed measures are body structure and function measures, you can cross those off immediately.
0: Once you've figured out the purpose of testing, you need to determine whether or not you want to use a norm reference test or criterion reference test. Norm reference is when you want to compare the child to a reference group of same age peers. And criterion reference is when you want to see how well the child performs on a specific set of skills or compare their abilities just to themselves. Only norm reference tests can be used to compare performance to a population or determine difference when compared to same age peers and through scores referenced to the normal curve, standard scores, T scores, Z scores, and percentile ranks. For this, think of the Peabody as a norm reference test and the GMFM as a criterion reference test. I would suggest taking the picture of the bell curve that is in this chapter and putting it on a daily study guide. This is probably one of the only things that you can actually memorize and it is definitely helpful to be familiar with when questions are asked regarding norm reference tests.
1: I couldn't agree more. I am a super visual learner, so the bell curve with the percentiles and the scores on the bottom is definitely something I can close my eyes and visualize. Another tip is when you get into the exam, you do get a piece of scratch paper. I actually drew out the bell curve when I got in and put in the percentiles and the scores on the bottom just because I knew that that was probably going to help me at some point on the exam.
0: Other features of outcome measures include their psychometric properties and whether or not they are computer aided. Some examples of psychometric properties are inter-rater and intra-rater reliability. An easy way to remember this is inter is between two things or people and intra is within one person or self. Additional psychometric properties include sensitivity and specificity, positive and negative predictive values and positive and negative likelihood ratios. The PCS Advantage study guides, as well as the one on MedBridge have some good short definitions of these. Sheila also recommended the evidence-based physical therapy book by Linda Fetters, where she said she saw some of the best examples of specificity and sensitivity during her studying. One clinical pearl we learned from studying was that for a screening test, you want high sensitivity. Some outcome measures are also computer-aided, such as the PD Cat. This just means that they have a component that you can use on the computer. The text then continues to reiterate how important it is for the therapist to consider why they are using a test, the type of data that is gathered, and the methods used to gather the data. Two different types of tests include screening and prediction and determining a difference. If you have a child who you think may have a certain condition or diagnosis now or in the future, screening and prediction is the way to go. You can also use a test to determine whether or not a child has a motor impairment or determine whether or not they are eligible for services. Determining a measure's responsiveness to change is also important. For this, you would use the minimal detectable change, MDC, or the minimal clinically important difference, MCID. It is important to differentiate between the two. The MDC is the smallest amount you can have to show change on the test but the MCID is the smallest amount of change that is meaningful to the patient or individual.
1: This definitely showed up a lot in practice exams and knowing the difference is definitely important.
0: A key responsibility of pediatric physical therapists is reporting and sharing results with families and individuals, so ensure that you understand how to interpret the results of the data and have ways to explain the results in layman's terms. The chapter ends with a few case study examples that were very helpful. A few resources that were recommended to go as an adjunct with this chapter are Evidence-Based Physical Therapy by Linda Fetters, the PCS Advantage and MedBridge Research and Statistics Study Guides, and the Clinical Measurement Practical Guidelines for Service Providers through CanChild.
1: All of those resources will be linked in the summary of this episode.
0: There are a lot of outcome measures to know and be familiar with. We will go through some that were referred to frequently during our studying throughout this podcast. This book also has a great detailed list of outcome measures in this chapter, and PCS Advantage also has a detailed study guide with a plethora of information. This
1: is definitely something that felt overwhelming to me throughout the course of studying. There are going to be obscure outcome measures that are talked about and that you're going to come across. And we can't guarantee that those obscure outcome measures won't show up on the exam. But if you don't know that one outcome measure and that one question, it will not derail your ability to still pass this exam. So try not to let this component overwhelm and stress your studying too much.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next week. And
1: remember, you totally got this.